0: You are listening to Generation Woman, a podcast dedicated to decreasing the generation gap amongst women. Hello! Welcome to the second episode of Generation Woman. This episode is about women in STEM, but more specifically, it surrounds topics like finding your path, encountering discouragement and sexism, and overcoming adversity to ensure progress for future generations. I had the pleasure of interviewing five amazing women that work in various STEM fields. They shared their wisdom and experiences, allowing me to put together a fantastic episode. So without further ado, let's get started with introductions.
1: Well, I'm Susan Clark. I'm the Senior Environmental Engineer at Lubrizol Advanced Materials. And I've been here for 31 years. So I got here having studied chemical engineering as an undergraduate. And then once I got here, well, before I got here, I started studying environmental engineering at the graduate level. As an academic, it wasn't fun. As I worked in the early years of my job, I also went back to school for a master's degree at night. I transferred to industrial engineering and got a master's in engineering management, which is kind of the engineering equivalent of an MBA.
0: Susan is the baby boomer guest. As someone who has been working in STEM for upwards of 30 years, she had mountains of anecdotes and lessons. She truly pulled from her experiences and allowed me to find great connections between the boomer generation and the others interviewed.
2: My name is Melinda Moslin. I am a chemist at BYK, which is an additives company that provides additives from everything like cosmetics to paint to foam. So um, quite a, a range of, of uh, raw materials that uh, we support. I have worked in the paint industry for 26 years, 27 years, something like that. Prior to that, I worked for an environmental remediation company for another five years.
0: Melinda is the Gen X guest. She is an experienced chemist with a dedication to the environment. Her stories gave insight on how sexism in the workplace has fluctuated throughout the years.
3: I'm Callie Stahl. I'm the resident area leader here at our um, Temprite facility. So basically what my role entails is um, I'm responsible for all of our day-to-day production in the Temprite uh, resin department. First and foremost, um, HSE, safety Um, Making sure that uh, everybody goes home at the end of the day the same way or better than how they came in. Um, And also the environment as well, you know, making sure we're not uh, polluting to the environment, whether it be through the air or through uh, wastewater and land and all that good stuff. So uh, to kind of give you a history of me, uh, so um, I went to college at Purdue, studied uh, chemical engineering. I also did the co-op program. Um, So I would definitely encourage anybody, um, you know, make sure that you get that experience as you're going through school. because. It gave me multiple experiences uh, to work. Callie is the first of the two millennial
0: guests. She is incredibly dedicated to and passionate about her job. Her interview allowed me to learn about the importance of support systems and transforming the support you receive into supporting and encouraging others. She also emphasized the duality of STEM through its use of both creative and concrete ideas.
4: My name is uh, Maureen Logue. I studied chemical engineering at the University of Toledo, so I was there from 2011 to 2015 and started working for Lubrizol Advanced Materials right after college. I'm a process engineer, and that just means I'm in charge of day-to-day manufacturing, um, quality throughput for a few lines in one of the departments at the Louisville facility.
0: Maureen is the second millennial guest. She's super cool and presented a story that gave the perspective of younger generations and how they experience sexism. She also stressed the importance of exposure to STEM fields and its role in encouraging girls to pursue STEM.
5: So my name is Hala. I am a chemical engineer at Lubrizol. As of pretty recently in Louisville, Kentucky, I went to Northwestern University to get my undergraduate degree um, and was heavily involved on the board of the Society of Women Engineers. And also on the board of Northwestern Undergraduate Energy Clubs.
0: Hala is the Gen Z guest. She is a recent graduate and fresh in a new position. Her fresh perspective deepened generational connections. One thing she discussed was the importance of witnessing first for women. She's inspired by these women and hopes to continue breaking barriers for others. All of these women have unique stories and perspectives that stem from their individuality. However, throughout the interview process, I was able to find similarities between all of the women's experiences in STEM. The first similarity that stood out was how each woman found their path to STEM. They all love science and math. They were good at it. From science experiments in
1: elementary school all the way up through high school, I, I just loved the math and science stuff. And when I hit junior year and took chemistry in high school, I'd hit nirvana. I found the thing I thought was the best thing since sliced bread.
5: Yeah, I would say for me in high school, for sure, I was generally pretty good at all of the subjects. I really was one of those kids who like got excited about going to school. I was just a nerd and I was excited about all of it. Then in high school I started to take more specialized classes. I really enjoyed them all but I think I found like a curiosity that I had for science and math. Kind of the way that they explained things around me, why they were the way they were and that what kind of drew me more towards engineering?
0: In addition to finding their paths based on their own interests, they all received encouragement from and found inspiration in a variety of strong female role models. Susan discussed her years with the Girl Scouts. The leaders pushed all of the Scouts to leave their comfort zone, which prepared them for the future and promoted a sense of adventure. We were led
1: by strong women who taught us a really great skill set. We had great role models, and we learned not to be afraid to do interesting things and things that were um, out of our comfort zone. You know, stepping into classrooms with mostly guys um, could be a way to stay
0: out of your comfort zone. Susan's leaders really helped her see the importance of stepping out of a bubble and discovering your interests. Melinda presented a unique perspective. She received encouragement at school, but the most profound support came from her mother.
2: My mother was a stay-at-home mother. There were nine of us, so she kind of had to. Um, but uh, she taught me to read when I was three and a half. So, so very early, she was always trying to get you to learn and understand and grow. She instilled in me that desire to always want to learn more. So from that perspective, she kind of inspired me to, to use my brain
0: Halle, Callie, and Maureen all mentioned the impact of their teachers.
5: Yeah, I think there's something cool about being somewhere where you could be the first. I wouldn't say I've done anything particularly <laughs> groundbreaking, but I think it's cool. Like I had some professors and they were the first female to ever be hired by my university in that uh, particular area and stuff like that. And I think that, motivates me to potentially be a role model for someone else.
0: Halla saw her professors moving and progressing. This showed her firsthand that she is capable of success and can accomplish first, too.
3: Callie says, High school, actually two chemistry teachers in high school um, that were actually both women and um, really encouraged, you know, made chemistry fun. So that's kind of how I got into chemical engineering, just because uh, that part of it always clicked with me. I always kind of saw it as a creative outlet as well. Callie had people who encouraged her along every step of the way. And high school chemistry was
0: fun and she was able to find an outlet for her academic and creative passions within it. Maureen brings a different perspective, saying
4: So I had great female college professors. My first boss on my first internship or co-op was a woman just a few years older than me. And that was really encouraging to see and they just really were happy to share their experiences. And even in the plant I'm in now, there's several women that have been there for thirty years that Anything I could possibly run into, they've run into before and they're willing to help guide the way and clear the path for me.
0: While Maureen found inspiration in her school teachers, some of her most valuable teachers and encouragers have been found in the professional sphere. This is an interesting addition to the topic of role models because it made me realize something important. It doesn't matter where you find inspiration, whether in school or the workplace, it just needs to be present because inspiration leads to support. And finding support in others emerged as a recurring theme. As stated before, support emerged as a common theme. Like any academic interest, challenges and struggles quickly arise. And to move past those challenges and struggles, you need to seek out the help of others. Although each woman found their path independently through their love of STEM subjects, they learned along the way that they cannot walk their path alone. And that's what brings us to the next topic,
3: the importance of support systems. Callie says... I did a college visit um, with my mom and, um, you know, she really suggested, she really pushed for the engineering department while we were there. And so my mom was absolutely behind me, you know, 100% um, and my dad as well. And then um, while I was in school, having that support system around you is extremely important. You can't go through engineering school alone. You've got to be able to work with others. And then I had a lot of, um, I actually had my two co-op advisors um, were also very influential and very supportive throughout my engineering career.
0: And her point regarding not going through it alone is so important. Evident from previous information, all five women found support from somewhere. Here are a few more examples.
1: We were six women and 20 guys. And then we slogged through it all together, basically forming a a family. Um, And the women probably at least three or four of
0: us clustered together to support each other. Susan's line about forming a family is poignant because it shows just how important your support system becomes. You lean on them for academic help, but also friendship.
5: So the support I had was largely from the first internship I had. Those were like the first people who I met who had any idea of what it was like to become a chemical engineer. And then from a lot of other great women that I met, at Northwestern who were either in Society of Women Engineers or in my classes. I just found that I got along with them really well and they kind of thought about the world in the same way I did and like had similar motivations. Those two became my biggest support system kind of to where I'm at today.
0: Hallis says she found support in professional spheres at Northwestern and through her internships. These examples supported her and allowed her to grow into a great engineer. Women in STEM brings a lot of positive aspects. Learning and being challenged. Growing in collaboration and knowledge. Creating a community with others. However, there are negative aspects too. These negative aspects include personal ones such as academic hardship and self-doubt. But they also include societal factors that impact women on a large scale. Can you guess the societal factor? Well, if you guessed sexism, unfortunately, you're correct. In every interview, instances of sexism were experienced by each woman at some point in her life. Some of the experiences were examples of blatant sexism, whereas other examples were more subtle. However, before we venture into experiences of sexism, we are going to explore the realms of academic struggle and self-doubt. Because we've all been there before, sitting at a desk, staring at an assignment, and having no idea what's going on. I know during moments like these, I get incredibly frustrated with myself and doubt my abilities. Well. Imagine assignments that cause frustration and doubt every night. Naturally, you would become discouraged because you do not feel super confident in what you were doing.
3: And that's exactly the experience that Callie had. I I never really had any people necessarily that were discouraging, but I did have a really tough time coming back uh, for my sophomore year level of classes. So basically that first semester, it was kind of like a refresher. And then you get into that second semester and kind of the sophomore level classes and from... um, things that you already know to things that, oh no, you don't know anymore. Keeping up with the workload was
0: overwhelming. Transitioning from freshman year to sophomore year challenged Callie because she was being slammed with brand new material. However, Callie was able to overcome it, and she's now a successful engineer. And as pointed out, when you struggle academically, you begin to question yourself. Susan says, You know, when I got into some
1: of the really heavy, difficult engineering classes, probably junior year of college. And I can think of another one senior year where I said, dear God, what have I? Self-doubt is absolutely there. As I presented ideas, I had to ask so many questions, you know, to make sure that what I was doing was right, because a little bit of a perfectionist, and I didn't want to be wrong. And so
0: that feeling of, oh gosh, you know, maybe this isn't any good, I had that alone. Her self-doubt creeped into the professional level. However, she was able to find confidence. It
1: took an evolution to be able to speak my mind and not question what I was going to say and ask myself, I going I think this is dumb. Am I going to be wrong? Am I going to embarrass myself? Now I know it's like I am i might be technically wrong occasionally, but I'm not afraid to speak my mind and say, you know,
0: gee, I think that's wrong or gee, I think that's right. Even though she sometimes doubted herself in the past, she is now a confident professional who's unafraid of making mistakes. Susan understands that a few bumps in the road are necessary in order to get through the journey. Something that I noticed was a recurring theme while conducting my interviews was how each woman did not let adversity bring them down. They kept chugging along. And I found this really interesting. I began to reflect on the characteristics of women who have broken stem barriers and kept those barriers down. Like Marie Curie or Katherine Johnson and various other women. All of these women have one important thing in common. Perseverance. And the five great ladies I interviewed persevere too. Although they may not think their actions are as impactful as Johnson's or Curie's, they have broken barriers simply because their actions, working in their positions and proving that women are capable, have resulted in continued progress for women in STEM. Overcoming academic hardship and self-doubt is a testament to the ladies' perseverance. Additionally, overcoming people's biases shows perseverance too. This segment of the episode details discouragement through the lens of people's biases. Throughout the interviews, I encountered many examples of other people's subjective ideas attempting to break down Susan's, Melinda's, Callie's, Maureen's, and Hal's progress. Melinda presented an interesting example of discouragement. It's not sexism, but it's a different kind of bias.
2: I was very quiet and shy growing up. Both fifth and sixth grade teacher told me outright, you'll never amount to anything because you won't talk to people. And so being the stubborn person that I am inspired me to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to, you know, do something bigger and better than you know. Um, Even though it was negative, it kind of built my thought process.
0: As a child, Melinda knew she was capable of success. She did not let petty comments discourage her. She chose a path where she could amount to something and despite her teacher's words, do those bigger and better things. And so Melinda's first story of discouragement presents a bias we don't always see. Somebody's abilities to socialize or be outgoing is not a definite mark of their future success. And I feel like that's a common viewpoint. Shy people are often overlooked and their abilities are not always praised. However, introverts are very talented, just as extroverts are. Anyways, I thought that was an interesting point of view that I never considered being a hindrance before. But besides your social ability, there is another bias. And this is where we are going to discuss sexism. There are two really big examples of sexism that I got while interviewing. One is more subtle, while the other was more blatant. We're going to start with a more subtle example. Maureen is a millennial. She grew up during the 90s, a relatively progressive time, thinking.
4: Um, so I'm 27, I was born in 93, so like I said, there were really no closed doors to me. My generation, we did not have like any barriers to going into a STEM field. When I started school, my program was half women. Grew up in the 90s, the time of Spice Girls and Girl Power. I assumed I would never really see any sexism in the workplace.
0: However, despite the appearance of non-existent barriers, Marines still encountered sexism.
4: And when I was in an internship, one of my last ones. I worked on a project all semester with this contracting company. And our goal was to write this program to automate a piece of equipment. And I thought I had a great working relationship with this contracting company. I worked with them the entire time. It was two older gentlemen that probably a little bit older than my dad's age. And um, when I got to the end of my semester, I was talking to one of them and he said something just really off the cuff. You know, he was being quite complimentary, to be honest with you. And he was saying that He enjoyed working with me and that going into the project, they really had no expectations because of my age and me being a woman. And I was so taken aback because I just didn't see it coming. And I'm sure a lot of women in the same position as me have heard little comments like that that just start to make you question. Every experience I go into now, are they expecting that I'm not going to be able to do anything because I'm a woman? So that's the kind of things I think my generation has to deal with more so than like the obvious in your face exclusions that maybe some of the earlier generations had to.
0: Although the comment was supposed to be complimentary, it wasn't, because the two men thought Maureen might be disappointing, not just because she was young and inexperienced, but because she was young, inexperienced, and a woman. That's why Maureen was so shocked. Her belief in 90s-era girl power had just taken a blow. Through her example, Maureen touches on some important aspects of sexism. Younger generations are initially unaware or slightly naive about others' sexist leanings. Sexism brings doubt, but for many, doubt is a motivator. It makes you work harder. Sexism experience now is more subtle than past generations' experiences. While the first two are great points, we're going to first divulge into whether the third statement holds true. So is the statement, Modern sexism is more subtle than past sexism, true? Melinda is a Gen Xer. In her interview, she discussed being the only woman at her workplace where she did asbestos abatement.
2: People underestimated her and... People just didn't respect me. I mean, the the sexism part went much deeper at, at that point than just you don't know what you're doing in the film.
0: I asked Melinda if she could elaborate on what she meant by the sexism went deeper. And she told me this.
2: I'll I'll try to make this one a funny one. So when you do asbestos abatement, you have these uh, containment areas that are all plastic. The challenge there with being the only woman going into that area is that all of the guys know you're the only woman coming in. So, they would do things like put clear plastic over the shower area where you had to shower out. And you'd have to be very strict and mean with them to to get across that you weren't going to take a shower in the open for everybody. You know, they would all stand around giggling.
0: When I first heard Melinda was going to tell me a funny story, I was expecting, well, I was expecting something a lot different than what she said. Imagine being at work and you're trying to do something to protect yourself, like showering out to get possible asbestos off of you. And all of a sudden you can't because someone thinks humiliating you is a big fat funny joke. Even if the men's intention was to just be funny and not humiliate her, imagine the frustration. A woman's body, in fact anyone's body, does not exist as a joke or entertainment for anyone if not consensual. And to make matters worse, Melinda's male co-workers let the men shower out in peace, but oh no, they have to prank Melinda and risk her health because humiliating her is just so gosh dang amusing. Melinda's story is a sure example of sexism, treating someone different based off their sex. The same is true of Maureen's story. Although the stories differ in shock value, it is an important connection because it shows that sexism still impacts women in the workplace, regardless of how blatant or subtle. And in reality, shock value does not matter when it comes to sexism. If you have biased ideas about women's abilities simply because they're women, that's really unfortunate for you, and you should stop. Anyways, it is very frustrating to know that sexism still plays such a huge role in the work lives of women. Now, if you're still wondering, Emily, how does sexism impact women in STEM? Well, besides the previous example, Maureen's story pointed out two additional things before we discussed generational differences and really the similarities of experiencing sexism. And to refresh, those other two examples are, number one, younger women usually don't expect barriers like sexism. Number two, Barriers and bias from others serve as a good motivator. So, let's discuss. Maureen said she did not expect barriers due to the progressive times she grew up in. Guess who else said that? Hala, our lovely Generation Z guest. She said, and I quote, So basically he was saying, do you think they were just trying to like make their numbers look good so they hired more women even though they were like, Men who were more qualified? That was pretty discouraging, but I can remember my answer to him was that there were plenty of qualified men and women. It wasn't that they had to choose. But that kind of always stuck with me, especially because it was from someone who I knew was supportive of me. End quote. Both ladies grew up in more recent times, proving that younger women don't necessarily expect barriers like sexism because they grew up in an environment that appeared to treat women equally to men. And to further prove this point, older women did expect to encounter bias. Susan said, and I quote, Along the way, you run into men who basically didn't think women should be engineers or didn't say so in so many words, but rather implied. Why are we spending our time and money educating you? You're taking up a space in this program that could belong to a guy when you're just going to leave here and in five years, you're going to be a housewife. End quote. The point is, sexism is encountered still. Regardless of your generation, whether you are expecting it or not, and whether the sexism is blatant or subtle, women will have some experience with sexism. However, many of the women interviewed feel that people's sexist doubts often encourage one to work harder and to work better. The encouragement to work harder and better sometimes stems from spite. Yeah, I'm going to do this because I'm going to prove to you that I am capable of anything. But also, sexism comes with performance pressures. People doubt you naturally sometimes because you're a woman. And because of that, you have to work harder. Callie and Hala present examples of working harder in order to combat performance pressures that arise from
3: sexist ideas. Callie says... I think there's definitely pressure to, um, you have to prove yourself a little bit harder sometimes and really push for, you know, your opinions. Um, One of my favorite performance reviews I've ever gotten about myself said that Callie defends her opinions surprisingly tenaciously. (laughs) I I actually kept that review and I look back on it from time to time because it, you know, just reminds me that you have something that you're passionate about. uh, You got to defend your ideas because nobody else is going to, you know, step in and do it for you.
0: And that proves the point. Because there are performance pressures, Callie knows that she has to defend her opinions surprisingly tenaciously. And I think that's a lesson for anything. You as an individual need to stand up for your own passions and ideas. And it definitely occurs when you're trying to combat sexist performance pressures. Hallis says,
5: I would say that I'm very conscious. And this is something I think a lot of my peers I know would agree with that I have to meet a higher standard. If a man had started in my position, it kind of would have been assumed that he was capable and smart and like could learn quickly. I know that I have to prove that. I don't even think this is something people do consciously. I just think that's not something they assume about when I walk into the room. I always have that in the back of my mind. You have to prove yourself as a woman.
0: And her point that it's something every woman has experienced holds true based off these interviews. I would assume, according to my own collected evidence, that women do have the thought in their head to constantly have to prove themselves as women. Although performance pressures are less than ideal, in a way, they do make people, like the five women I interviewed, more productive and better workers. Melinda said earlier in this episode that her teacher's petty comments encouraged her to work hard and become the experienced chemist that she is today. Melinda even said, quote, I don't want to slip up because then that gives someone an excuse to question my abilities and I don't want that, end quote. And because she doesn't want that, she works hard. She double checks her information. She makes the calls. She does what she needs to do and she becomes a better engineer. And I think that's a real display of women overcoming adversity through the generations. All these women took a bad situation and made it positive. Their drive and dedication shows the incredibly important persevering attitude that women possess regardless of age or generational differences. So why is it so incredibly important that women possess a persevering attitude? Well, As established before, without it, progress would not be made. History shows that laziness and indifference does not get you much. However, passion, dedication, and perseverance are big contributors to progress and social change. So we need people with persevering attitudes to spearhead the movement that welcomes future generations of women and more diverse populations into STEM. Although issues still exist for women in STEM, barriers have been broken throughout the generations because of persevering, dedicated women. And the five women I interviewed are members of that persevering and dedicated crowd. These five women had a lot to say about progress into the future. They especially emphasized how to encourage the next generation and the factors that play into continuity of progress in STEM. There are various issues that prevent progress into the future in STEM. But the main one we will discuss is reasons as to why girls are discouraged from pursuing STEM. Luckily, the five excellent ladies I interviewed believe there are key things to prevent discouragement. Number one, reorienting the STEM narrative. Number two, getting rid of unfounded bias. Number three, broadening access to opportunities. And number four, exposing the field in a realistic way. For reorienting the STEM narrative, Callie gives us this.
3: So really talking to the kids and um, that's the way I always try to push, you know, hey, if you got that creative side, if you got the art side, and there's so many varieties of engineering anymore, you know, it's not just the traditional mechanical, chemical, electrical anymore, you know, there's engineering for almost anything, you know, showing people that and showing young girls, especially that, you know, they can do something that is going to be impactful and is going to, you know, make, make the future better. I'm so sure you've heard of the Society of Women Engineers, and the uh, the leader of it was giving a presentation one time, and she was talking about one of the major things that they focus on is is about that is how do we get um, you know girls who are in middle school, high school, how do we get them motivated to to want to be and uh, to be an engineer, be in a STEM field. So she's always like, you can't start off saying that good at math and science because that just you know it, it doesn't make it interesting. I don't do a lot of math and science directly in my job. I mean, I have to have that understanding, but that's not the the core function of, you know, what I come in and do every day. So that's why I always try to tie a lot to the that, that creative side.
0: Callie gives an excellent explanation about turning the table on the traditional view of STEM by incorporating creativity. Creativity will encourage kids to be interested and find confidence because Let's be honest, most kids are not dying to do chemistry or geometry. However, when you incorporate creative aspects like making a volcano or designing a floor plan, chemistry and geometry become a fun game that kids can be interested in. Interest breeds repetition, which breeds confidence. Confidence ultimately leads to pursuing the path. The second major factor that promotes discouragement is the biased idea that girls are simply not good at science or math.
5: I think there's still this idea in a lot of circles and areas that women are less inclined to science or to math. And I would push back on both of those. I don't think it's true. I think it's something that definitely discourages people because younger girls may hear that. But I think it's totally not grounded in truth.
0: This may seem like an outdated concept, and I agree with Hala. It's completely not grounded in truth. However, a study done by the American Association of University Women in 2010 illustrated that implicit bias does play a role in discouragement. Traditionally, STEM fields are seen as more masculine, and there has even been suggestions in the past that biological differences play a role in men's and women's different levels of STEM success. This suggestion cannot be further from the truth, especially since girls are making gains in STEM every day. In summary, we need to make sure that women and men are working together to prevent implicit bias from preventing success or encouragement. The third major factor that contributes to discouragement is an environmental one, broadening access to opportunities. Susan and Melinda touch on this. How can girls, or kids in general, know what's out there if their environment does not offer opportunities to explore STEM? Now, what are the two main environments of a young child? the home and school. So how do we broaden learning opportunities for girls at home and school? Susan brings up the at home point.
1: What do you buy little girls? Little girls get dolls and they get, Mm -hmm. um, you know, little house sets so they can play house. Whereas what do guys get? They get, you know, fake Bob the Builder tools and Mm -hmm. things like that, you know, just even that skill set right there that you're handing out. Um, You know, little girls don't typically get tools, and so they're not familiar with them. So our unconscious bias, I guess, there starts, I won't say pushing girls away from STEM, but certainly does not familiarize them with
0: some of the more hands-on careers that you could have. And I agree with her, little girls are definitely presented with specific skill sets, more domestic ones from the get-go. While these toys are fun, don't get me wrong, I loved my baby doll, options should not be limited to dolls, baking toys, or fake vacuums. Because when you have limited options or something is unavailable to you at a young age, you begin to develop a subconscious idea that other things are not open or available to you, things like tools, construction trucks, or train sets. And this idea translates into your life, just as Susan says. You might stray away from things that interest you simply because you were never in an environment that gave you those opportunities. Melinda carries the point away from home and towards school, saying,
2: When I come to the, the lack of interest, it I think that's more to do with um, maybe being given those opportunities. As my kids went through school or elementary school even, um, I started working with uh, one of the teachers to do destination imagination. It's to play with and to try all the different STEM functions so, so that they get exposure. I think getting that exposure and getting that confidence early would be positive.
0: Melinda discusses bringing special activities like destination imagination into schools. Her work within schools helped expose kids to STEM in a different way. Again, access to new opportunities and activities that garner interest in kids will encourage them to pursue STEM paths further. And this brings us to our final factor, exposure. It is integral that children are exposed to STEM paths. As Callie, Halla, Susan, and Melinda have said, STEM needs to be interesting, inclusive, and accessible. But in order for STEM to be any of these things for children, they need to first know what STEM paths include. Kids need to have exposure to STEM, because if they don't, then they quickly begin to move away from it. It is majorly discouraging to not pursue an interest simply because you do not really know what it is or means. And Maureen wraps this point up really nicely.
4: I personally think the biggest barrier to women in STEM is they're just not exposed to the career path. This is in children in general. You know which you are surrounded by, so you know that teaching is an option. You know that nurses are an option. You know whatever your parents do in their field. But if you're not exposed, um, I think it really discourages people to even look into it or know if they have the skill set for it.
0: When discouragement in any form goes away, it's a lot easier for young girls and kids in general to pursue their interests. When people are able to begin the path towards their interests, they're passionate and dedicated. They persevere and become part of a world that is better because of their passion, dedication, and perseverance. But as stated earlier in this episode, once you start that path, you need unswaying interests. You need support. You need the door to your path to stay open. And so this last section we are going to discuss all things that involve keeping the STEM path cleared for future generations. Because that's what this is all about. How are the current generations uniting to ensure future generations have the same success, if not more? Keeping the door open to STEM involves making STEM interesting, inclusive, accessible. And it also involves exposure, offering support, being a role model. Maureen starts off with,
4: I think it's important for people in my position to volunteer and, you know, try and be active in STEM days in school so people see, hey, she looks just like me. I can do that job too. So not only do I need to keep the door open, but I need to be encouraging the people behind me. I think the biggest thing is every woman that works in manufacturing or works in a job like mine is just going to open up the door for the next one. So I think just every person that Takes a job like this is opening the eyes of someone. There's someone that now realizes a woman can do this job because I work there.
0: (laughs) Maureen understands that it takes volunteering in schools. It takes showing people that you are successful because when you do that, you are acting as a role model. You are representative of women's success within STEM. You are showing young girls and everybody else that women can do it too. That's how Maureen is keeping the door open
5: representation that's an obvious one but it makes a big difference and then i would say mentorship i think when it is female on female that it makes a huge difference and you can learn a lot more about yourself as well as technical skills i think if i had had that earlier on some of the feelings like oh you don't belong or oh you're not good enough would have been less because she would have been there to say oh other people feel that way and then from that it wouldn't have been as hard to deal with, so I think that's female to female mentorship would be the best. Hala feels
0: that keeping the door open involves representation too, just as Maureen believes. However, Hala adds an added aspect. She touches on the importance of mentorship and supportive relationships. Being a role model is not just proving that you can do it; it also entails guidance. This aspect is important, and to Hala, is the best way to keep the ball
3: rolling. Or the door open. You know, I think um, really seeking out people a that are going to be push you to be better, um, and then also seeking out those people that you can help um, be better as well. Um, for example, the, the team that I work with right now um, in the resident department, um, I always say that we have a superstar team. When one of us rises, we're both going to rise. Uh, you know, we're on the same team, so we gotta gotta join forces here.
0: Callie believes something along the same lines as Halla mentorship, except her version of mentorship aligns more closely with teamwork, positive teamwork. I like her statement, when one of us rises, we're all going to rise. That proves the incredible power of trusting relationships and collaboration within STEM or any workforce. Trust stems from believing in each other, and when you believe in your teammates or co-workers, you create an environment that encourages the next generation. You trust that the next generation will do just as well, if not better, than you. you. That is how Callie is keeping the door open.
2: Show our accomplishments. This was the field I chose. This is what I made. We're doing that. You have something very tangible, very hands-on to say, a woman created this.
0: Melinda believes in showing off accomplishments to encourage the next generation. Be proud of what you have done and show the next generation, whoever they may be, that they can be proud strong, and intelligent women capable of anything. The STEM field has seen many changes in recent decades regarding inclusivity and progress. Susan says, said- Back when I started, you still wore dresses to
1: meetings. You know, if you were representing your company at an off-site industry or trade group meeting, we were all dressed up. Now, everybody looks the same. Pants and a polo shirt, more a sweater. So to see it evolve has been interesting. The other evolution I've seen is when I got here, it was mostly a male-dominated field. And now... It is nearly a woman-dominated field. Environmental engineering is almost all women. I have been in large meetings, and there were no men at the table. It was not because we were intentionally there as women, it's just that we were all there to work. So that was pretty cool. I remember being a brand-new engineer. I maybe had worked a year, and I remember hearing In my office, a guy yelling from a meeting down the hall, no way, expletive, expletive, (laughs) is there going to be a woman supervisor on my paper machine? And that was the thought. We weren't invited to meetings then. Now we lead the meetings.
0: And now we lead the meetings. This statement truly encompasses the progress of women in STEM. The evolution Susan has seen proves that women have a place working in STEM-related fields. Her words make me hopeful for the future. I hope this episode has shown that women are incredibly persevering. They fight for their passions, they're dedicated to progress, and they're dedicated to the future. All five of the women interviewed, Susan Clark, Melinda Moleslin, Callie Stuhl, Maureen Logue, and Halle Reed, have shown that regardless of the era that one grows up in, whether it be the groovy 70s or the jamming 90s, before, after, or in between, women in STEM are dedicated to learning, love to be challenged, will overcome adversity, push relentlessly for their opinions to be heard, encourage respect for themselves and others, and persevere to ensure that themselves and future generations can pursue STEM fields. Talking to all five of these women was absolutely wonderful. I learned so much about STEM fields and what it takes to work in one. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Stay tuned for the next installment of Generation Woman. And remember, always persevere.